I'm currently recording for the first time ever from an office space. What? I'm recording from this office, not because I just have it, although that is a new thing in my life, but because I have some friends visiting me and those friends have a three-month-old baby. And whereas you can typically keep your guests quiet, you can't do that with a three-month-old, so I'm recording from this space. But this space is precariously close to a train track, so we might have that featured in the podcast at some point. Nice wording. And I suppose if you have a three-month-old in the house and you left the house to record, that means your house does not have an area that you can go that's secluded such that you could drown said little one out uh i i have an, a new guest right now a nice ambulance going down the street <laughs> what did you do drew oh god <laughs> my floor plan at my house is extremely open and there's nowhere really to hide if you wanted to get some work done that's not true for you right are you recording on a different even floor than most people are on uh yes so we live in a It's a four-level split, which not a lot of people are familiar with, I have learned. It's essentially a single-story home with a basement that someone drew a line down the middle, as if you're looking at it from the road. They drew a line down the middle and then shifted one side of it, say the right side, up half a floor. So there's like a top floor, then there's the main living floor, which... So the top floor has our bedrooms on it. The main floor has like the kitchen and living room in it. And then the the one that's half below ground is our family room slash my office. And then there's one further down yet, which is what we refer to as the basement because it's actually fully underground. I'm recording as I am today, like I do every day. I am behind a closed door on a separate floor and I have positioned mics and a number of like furniture in the room such that it deadens sound and doesn't pick up on the microphone. So there have been times when you and I have recorded and my little ones are upstairs banging away on the piano and you have no idea. <laughs> At least I don't think you do. <laughs> I hope you don't. When I record, I'm recording straight in my open floor plan living room. When you walk into our house, you walk right in and you can see the living room. To the left is the dining room. If you keep looking backwards, there's the kitchen. It's all just one big room, which is it's great. It's a, There's massive windows that just look gorgeous and light the entire thing up really well. But yeah, there is no place that you can possibly go to get away from that. So not optimal when you're living with people, which I don't usually do. It's not a big deal when I'm the only one there. But right now it's a bit of a different situation. So I was going to ask about your office space. Is this a thing that you're holding on to? You're just borrowing temporarily? Because I have a very open floor plan, it means that I don't really ever have a space that's necessarily a good work place. Uh, I have a desk and that desk has a chair and that desk has a drawer. And that's about as far as it goes of me having like a, a work space in my house. So it felt like it was about time being in the city for a year to find a place that I could kind of call my own. And I did it with a few friends. So a few friends and I found a location downtown, which I live in a small town, so downtown is not maybe what people picture when they see a downtown. Right. And uh, you got a little corner office, and it'll be interesting to see what we do with it. We've had it for a whole 48 hours. Nice. Um, and right now there is a couch, a love seat, and a desk inside. <laughs> I think we have some more furnishing to do. We've talked about your workspaces before, which you have multiple, right? Right, right. You have your your home office, you have your space at the church that you work at, 
Do you have another space that I'm missing? Or is that really the two that you go back and forth from right now? The one, it, it's it's kind of tricky because I tend to think of my home office as having like three, maybe four different workspaces that I work from. Right. And that's simply because within my office, it's big enough that I can do that. But then like the church, the building's large enough that again, it has multiple areas that I like to work from. You know, if I, if I need to be around a lot of the staff asking questions or answering questions, then I'll definitely work at my desk because it's right beside the door into the office area. So it's it's impossible for me to escape if I'm there. Mm. But there are a number of other areas I can go where very few people even know where to find me and end up texting me saying, are you in the building? Like, I don't, I don't even know where you are. Like, <laughs> are you here? <laughs> right, right, right. So, but outside of those two, I have another IT client, commercial building contractor, and I, I do some IT work for them. Uh, the only time I work there or, or work from a desk in that building is when I'm doing some work for them. I don't know if you want to count that or not. Mm. I don't really ever do my own stuff there. It's only when I'm working for them. So depending on how you want to clarify those spaces. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that's a third space. It's not one that you would necessarily hop over to whenever you feel like it, but that's right. another place to do stuff. And, and for me, I had a very similar setup when I worked at the church and nonprofit that I was a part of in Tampa, where I had an office and then there was a big collaborative desk that was right outside of the office. And then there was something that we called a dream room. Have we ever talked about that? I don't remember the dream room. I brought it up when we were first talking about whiteboards, or I think I might have, because it was just a room in that building that was completely covered in whiteboards, very similar to the way that you built oh, yours in your office. You know? I got you. Yeah. So it was just a room with some chairs and just infinite whiteboard, which was so good for just dreaming and thinking up new projects or brainstorming um, on something that felt a bit more creative than, uh, you know, an open and shut kind of project. So I would do the same thing. You know, people would text me sometimes, hey, are you here? You know, I checked your office and you're not here. And I would be. I would just be in a different location. Right. And that has not been true, really. If you want to know where I am in the city of Reading, the answer is one of two places, my house or the coffee shop that I go to. Yep. It's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I go to those two spaces if I'm planning on doing work. And the coffee shop's great in the mornings. I love it. It's become the place that I go and do some writing. Funny enough, with my friend in town, um, I woke up this morning and he said, hey, can we go to the coffee shop? Because he wanted to get some writing done. So I <laughs> quickly indoctrinated him into a uh, morning routine of writing at a coffee shop with some coffee in your hand. And then I'll go home and do some work. But then that's the thing is, you know, you and I have talked about that before. It feels so good to change location, to change space when you want to move from one project to the next. And really, that was a $5 fee yeah. for me <laughs> of going to a coffee shop and buying another coffee, um, which isn't necessarily optimal. So now I have a space that I can come and do work out of. And I think that you had asked me at some point if I would be interested in having an office. And I've never wanted to have an office because I'm such a people person, ambivert, that I don't like the idea of going to an office and closing the door behind me and knowing that I will not see anybody for the duration of the time that I'm in here. So the fun thing about this office is I actually will. When I walked into it today, one of the guys that I'm renting it with was sitting at this desk and doing some work on the computer. And it just feels nice to have a bit of a social experience along with my office experience. So it's a really good best of both worlds kind of thing for me. And I think I'll find myself here quite a bit. 
That's interesting because that's it sounds similar to how I use our church building during the week. I know that it's a place that I can go and I can get things accomplished and yet I'm around other folks. And although I may not get as much done as if I was in the perfect flow state and working from home and and doing my own thing, like I may not get quite as much done, but I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy it a lot more and I may create a better product, even though I won't get as far on the project. So I, I I hear you. There's something to having an office space where other people are there and it kind of puts you in a different mindset of sorts. Like there's just something different about it. But I I also think that if if you work in that environment all the time, like I used to do in a corporate setting, like if you're in that constantly, you don't ever have a chance to separate from, I think that has its downfalls as well. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think that the benefit of it is that there's something really special about a collaborative environment. I'm more likely when I'm around other people to do different things that I would not be inclined to do on my own. So you do lose that flow state, which I believe is a uh, a term that you've been reading a lot about lately. Yes, yes. I'm in the middle. <laughs> All right, for the listeners, I'm reading Flow, which is the name of the book. Uh, this is by Mahali Mihali. I- I'm going to go with that pronunciation. <laughs> I'll allow it. This is a bookworm book. So I'm I'm on it, taking my time going through this one. Mike and I had to spread our time frame out for Bookworm by one week uh, due to some scheduling stuff. Oh, I thought it was a book thing. I thought the book was so good that you just had to give it an extra week, but maybe that was just part of it. Yeah, definitely. That's exactly it. I wanted to give it an extra week, so I pushed Mike's recording back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes you sound much better. Yep. The flow state concept is when everything's perfectly aligned and you can get everything perfectly done. Is that kind of right? I like to refer to it as the state of mind that you're in when you lose track of time. Mm. Like When you're working on a project and you're so into it and you're enjoying it, but it's a challenge and you're working through it and you tend to, you know, people talk about, I was working on this difficult project at my law firm and the next thing I knew it was three o'clock in the afternoon and I hadn't eaten lunch. Like that state, that's exactly what he's talking about in the book and how to manufacture that. Right. But that's not necessarily something that you have for hours on end, day and night, every day of the week. So for me, breaking that, in a sense, by being around other people is not necessarily what's going to be happening every day because I probably wasn't in it to begin with. And the opposite effect for me that the positive that people can bring is that you're more likely to be open to something new or have a conversation with with somebody that might break you out of a a mentality or or just ask somebody a question that you would have spent half an hour or an hour googling and they had the answer to all along there's just so much of a benefit to me of being around people if those people are the kind of people that make you work better which in my opinion the people that i'm sharing this office with are for me so yeah i think it's i think it's a really good thing it'll be cool to see what we end up doing with it how it ends up being used so to kind of carry over some of the conversation we had last time are you blocking out certain times throughout your week to work in these different spaces like the morning bit i get because you're going to the coffee shop so that you can write and depending on how long it takes you to write i assume you then come home and work on some of your other creative projects are you setting aside like a ritual based time frame for working in this office or is this just a 
however it hits you, you feel like you need to get out of the house and you go there? Well, since I've had it for 48 hours, I don't know yet. But that is definitely (laughs) the hope. And in earnest, even just for these, I feel like I've been in stretched circumstances in the sense that we have an office and that office isn't fully furnished. And I have guests at my house that I don't usually have. And still, I'm doing this. So that's a great way to test if something's going to stick or not, right? Right. (laughs) If things are already going wrong and making it kind of inconvenient to do that, and you're still finding time to do it, that's probably a good indication that things are working well. So yeah, totally. I had some work to do for a client, and I blocked out the time, and I said, you know what? Instead of arriving at the office at 12 to get ready to record with Joe, I'm just going to show up to the office at 10 and block off an hour for this, a half hour for that, and save some of that free space that I I always know I need, which was great because I got a coffee for myself in that free time. Nice. <laughs> and uh, it's been it's been awesome. I really, really liked it. So is this something, if you're bringing it up, that must mean that you've been thinking about it. Has this been something that you've been spending some time trying to do in your own life? I guess I bring it up because I know for me what I end up doing is I spend all day Tuesdays at the church typically, and, and then I try to set a schedule for when I'm there. That's partially because I just want the routine so that I know, okay, at this time I'm going to go there, so I've got to wrap up my client projects by noon, grab lunch, and then I'm spending the afternoon working on my church list. I tend to want it to work that way, but at the same time, like I haven't really nailed that schedule down. I guess another reason for doing that is so that the staff know when I'm there and they tend to hold on to their questions for those times, Mm. and they'll come hunt me down whenever I get there. I've debated like trying to find... Uh, an office space in town, I just don't want to pay for one right now. And I, I've played around with that concept a number of times. Uh, it just has never really clicked for me as to how it would work and if it would even be worth it. It wouldn't be a case where I've got other people there. It would be just me. And I'm I'm not convinced that that's truly worth it. The beauty of living in a small town and sharing an office space with several people is that this office space is costing me a whopping $100 a month. Ah. And that's with utilities and internet and everything included. Wow. So it just didn't feel like that big of a deal to have a lot of extra freedom for very little to have to pay for it. Right. I feel like maybe in larger cities you could do something similar if you found a, a co-working space. Um, do you have anything like that in your town? Not in our town. I mean, there's a lot of office space for for rent. I suppose I could rent one and then, you know, sublease it to people in order to create one. But as far as I know, there's not one in our town. Yeah. And just for like a reference point, the office spaces that I've looked at here, the cheapest one I found is $750 a month. So it's it's a far cry from $100. And that number is without any of the internet pieces and such. So, Hey man, that's, that's why there was a lot of things I gave up moving from a big city to a smaller city. Yeah. A Whole Foods, <laughs> cool coffee shops everywhere, Amazon delivering stuff same day. I, I gave all that up. So the very least the city could give me is a, a cool, there you go. super cheap place to, to rent in the middle of the town. So <laughs> I want to know a little bit though, you brought the time blocking thing back up. Last time that we talked about it, you were saying that you might create a little list of things that would work for you as far as time blocking goes. Did you make any progress on that list? I did, and I am sending you a picture right now. Ooh. Uh, just sent it via iMessage. What I did was I took a I took a little bit of time, and I nailed down this bank of uh, time activities. This is a thing that you posed 
not as a thing that you were doing, but just to create this list of activities that are an option for what it is I'm going to work on or do in that day. So I made that list, but then I also, with that list, I I put together how many hours in a week I would like to spend on each of these activities. And then I, I turned that into a form of like a bar graph going from left to right. This is a cool way to do it. Yeah, I kind of stole it. I'll get to that. <laughs> so I essentially what it allows me to do is at the end of every day, I get I get to put in hash marks to show how much time I put into that activity. And then during my morning ritual, I take five minutes to plan out what I'm going to work on that day because doing the weekly thing just didn't work like we talked about last time. And so I plan out my day that morning. And when I do that, I'm looking at this list as well as my uh, list of tasks that I need to do and then plan out when I'm going to do what things that day and try to get to these numbers by the end of the week, the number of hours that I've got on here. Now, some of these that I have here are maximum numbers and some of them are minimum numbers. And I just kind of know that like I know that for my business to to continue paying the bills, I need to put in about 15 hours a week on client projects. Mm -hmm. But I don't really want to do more than that because the other areas in my life I feel like are more important. Like take, for example, which one is it? The fourth one down, princess playtime. Take a crack at what that one is. Time with your girls. Yep. So I've got 10 hours. I've got 10 hours a week on that one. And I definitely consider that a minimum. Right. If I go over that, that's just gravy. But I wouldn't limit it at 10. I would limit the client projects at 15. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. We've we've had 10 hours together. Yes. Yes. (laughs) No more. Oh, oh, it's 4.30. You know, we've hit our limit. I know it's only Wednesday, but (laughs) the rest of the week, (laughs) daddy's going to be downstairs. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to send you a link because this link is what helped me take this time activity bank and then consolidate it with this graph concept. This is an article by Matt Ragland, who put this whole thing together on a, what did he call it? A tactical list of how to plan your days, weeks, and projects. And it's all on paper, Mm -hmm. of course. And he has a section in here uh, about planning the week. And he has these 10 blocks and he does something similar, but I think he does like zero to a hundred percent of what his week is going to look like on that. And anyway, I'm not going to go into how he does it, but I, I took the concept of that bar graph from him and consolidated it with your idea of this time activity bank. Thus the picture I sent you. Yeah, I like it. I think it's really cool. Have you been doing it for a week or so? I started this... Let's see. So the picture I sent you is the second one I've done. I did it last week as well. Okay. The entire week. So I I basically tried to figure out this time activity bank like a day after we recorded (laughs) and Mm kind of marinated on it for a few days and then put it together the following Monday and ran that entire graph set up last week and realized that I'm not as good at hitting the numbers that I think as I think I am. Uh, go figure. Well, that's part of it, right? That's one of the most helpful pieces of it. Right. So I did it again, and I've been doing it this week. The picture I sent you has some of these filled in. Mm-hmm. It is interesting, too, because you tend to see, like, this. take this princess playtime thing that, I, that I'm working on. Like, I've got three hours on the week on that one right now, and I run my week starting on Monday and ended on Sunday. 
which is a little bit backwards for some people, but that's how I do it. I get it, yeah. I know that I'm only going to get 30 minutes to an hour each day for that, but I also know that Saturday and Sunday are very heavy family days for us. It's not hard for me to to rack up close to 15 hours on that, uh, but there's also times when I've got events going on on a Saturday and I'll miss that entire day. Hmm. Uh, and, and it's those weeks that I know I have to really have to work at it in order to make sure I'm home enough to spend some time with them. So it, it is interesting how you can figure out what days of the week some things work out better on. But at the same time, I also know that when I'm looking at this in the morning and I'm planning out what I'm going to do that day, it's nice to see that you know I've spent my full 20 hours for my time at the church already and say it's Wednesday, you know, if I've already done that, then I know that I've got Thursday, Friday to catch up on my client stuff or I'll start working on my personal projects. So it it just makes it a little bit easier to see how am I doing on the week. And then that's a pretty good gauge as to what which activities I need to be doing that specific day. So it's it's been a, an interesting experiment so far. Yeah, the first thing that I thought of when I saw this made me think of the last conversation that we had about goals and how I was sort of feeling this desire to never stick myself in a place where I feel like I have already failed or I'm going to fail by not hitting some sort of number. And so looking at these, I could see how looking at this at the end of the week and saying, oh gosh, I have so many bars that just didn't get filled up could be bad. But I imagine that especially because you're you're keeping these numbers fairly conservative that that's not really going to happen. And if it does happen then you can just adjust the next week and make those numbers down and then kind of work up. Does that make sense? Yeah. Where you're not going to have all of these bars totally unfilled because at, at, if you say, "Oh man, at the end of it I didn't have 2 hours of writing." And you say, "Oh, well I only got an hour done." Well, at the end of the week, you could say, well, then I'm just going to commit another hour to it today right. and fill that bar right up. So this, this is cool. If if all of the numbers were huge, you know, if they were all 15, 20, 10, 7, 5, 5, 5, you know, that would seem like that might be harder to hit and you would be putting yourself in that place where at the end of the week you say, oh, man, I, mi- I messed up again. But this is really neat. I like this because it seems like this is something that is very gratifying to fill out. And at the end of the week, every single time you would find these bars completely or almost totally filled. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Because uh, essentially the numbers that I've put down here are, they're the minimum that I would want in a week to feel like it's been a successful week. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you do the math, I I think, I didn't add them up earlier, but I think there's 58 hours that I've accounted for here. And given that there's, you know, say there's 58 here, there's 168 in the week. Say I'm sleeping eight hours a day. So, you know, if I if I continue working that, I've still got 54 hours that are unaccounted for in the midst of my week. Right, right, exactly. So I have quite a bit of buffer <laughs> to work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're not committing every hour like the scheduling morning to night in a calendar does. You're just committing a, a good portion of your time to stuff that feels very achievable. I like that. I think that's really cool. And I, I bet that it also is helpful to see the things that get filled up very quickly and the things that don't get filled up at all. The things that are kind of put on the back burner compared to the stuff that's just daily getting knocked out every time. Is there anything like that? 
Does personal projects up top, does that feel a bit anemic compared to the other ones or is that a priority? Yeah, I think what ends up happening is it's pretty easy to see which things are the most important to me. Right. So like, for example, like I've been talking, like the princess playtime, that one fills up very quickly because Mm -hmm. my girls are a very high priority to me. So I, I spend a lot of time making sure that I hit that 10 hours in a week. And I typically do that very quickly. My client projects, I'll hit that one fairly quick as well, as I will with BCC, which is our church. So between those three, I'll fill those up pretty quick. It's the other pieces, like read will get there, like my reading time, just because that one's a habit. And I just want to make sure yeah. that I'm spending at least three hours a week reading. Uh, which isn't difficult, but it's still uh, a fairly high priority. So whenever I get into things like personal projects or writing or thinking or, you know, after hours, which is like my DIY stuff around the house, whenever I, I get into those, they're low enough numbers that I can batch them like all together in one day and hit all of them <laughs> if I wanted to. But at the same time, they're not something that I'm going to do a little bit of each day always. I do sometimes, but I'm not always the best at that. So it's something that I know I I need to be aware of. But it is interesting how some things do fill up faster, like you're saying. At the same time, some of that is just a factor of my, my typical cycles of how a week goes. Because I know that Monday and Tuesday, like I usually spend half a day on Monday and all day Tuesday at the church. Because I'm trying to get like our sermon and such posted online from the audio and video recordings that we've done. And I'm trying to spend all day Tuesday there because it's when we have staff meeting and the like. So I know that that one's going to fill up within like two days. <laughs> or, mm. you know, I'll have one afternoon where I'll top it off somewhere later in the week. But then my client projects will be a little light until roughly Wednesday, and then it'll fill up midweek into the end of the week. So, you know, I just have to be aware of how that all plays out and and just know, okay, well, I look like I've got, say, nine hours remaining on my client projects, but I've got three days to get that tied up. I'm better off if I try to get most of that now, and then I can work on personal projects on, say, Thursday afternoon. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it just helps me to make some of those decisions because I can see you know, a tally of how much time I've spent on each of these through the week. To me, the the piece that's interesting about this is it's kind of like time tracking without going full time tracking, you know, craziness. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it's kind of a way for me to keep track of where I've dedicated my attention without having to do something where I'm starting and stopping timers constantly. I, I just kind of rough guess, you know, within 15 minutes, sometimes even within half an hour of how much time did I actually spend on these things? And it works out as a pretty cool way of looking at, okay, one, where did I put my time? And two, where would I like that time to go for the remainder of the week? I thought that too, when you show this picture to me, this is, uh, to me, much saner way of time <laughs> tracking. Yes. Which we've never really talked about, have we? we? We've kind of talked around it a little bit. I have never been someone to do time tracking stuff. It just seems crazy to me. I have a hard enough time tracking my time for clients. I can't imagine doing it for myself all the time. I, I'm really bad about forgetting to start timers and end timers and all of that kind of stuff. So it just is not something that I'm prone to do. Have you spent time using a time logging system before? Is that something that you've ever really experimented with heavily? The only time tracking thing that has ever been successful for me is when they're automatic. Uh, I think we talked about like Lifecycle, the app, 
at one point. Yeah, we did. We did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like mm-hmm. I'll use things like that. I used rescue time for a long period and I played around. I don't know. There's another one that uh, I've played around with on my Mac before. I just don't look at the reports from the majority of it and I don't see a ton of value from the auto loggers uh, per se. Life cycle I like because it, it helps me see how much time I've spent in the car and how much time I've spent at certain locations, like some of my IT clients. So it, it is helpful to see some of that. Yeah, that is cool. Um, but I don't even do I don't even do time tracking for my client projects. I don't even do that. But that's because of kind of my mentality with doing work for for hire. Because I'll quote things ahead of time, send you the number, and that's what it is. And if it takes longer than that, it's on me. If it takes less than that, it's gravy to me. So mm-hmm. I, I don't really do the, you know, you can buy an hour of my time. I, I try the best I can not to do that at all. Which, again, that's one of those things. I was just talking with a friend of mine about that. It's so weird that if you are extremely good at it, you get punished by, right. <laughs> right. you know, being able to quote less time. I just learned a system that makes this take only half as long. So now you get to pay me right. half the price that you would have before. Did Tracking time for clients doesn't necessarily make sense unless you're doing something routinely. That's what I end up doing usually is I'm showing them how much time is going into this project or that project or this project so that they can get a sense of, okay, we should pull back on this and do more on this or so on and so forth. But yeah, right. tracking time for your clients is a whole nother conversation. And I think something that needs to change for freelancers because it just is not a good system. It's pretty bad for like developers too. Because, like, for example, like, if I write a plugin and it's a custom plugin for someone, but I retain ownership of it, which is how I do the vast majority of things because a lot of people don't want to be responsible for it, right. uh, which I understand. But when I do that, if I have someone else who wants something very similar, I am going to copy-paste that plugin and tweak it and maybe spend 30 minutes to an hour on it, even though the original build was 12 hours. And I will not charge that second person based on 30 minutes. I will charge them on the full 12 hours. Like that's the beauty of doing code and such. But yeah, this is why I'll give you a number on what the project is worth. I will fight tooth and nail to guard how many hours are involved in that project though. So let me show you my little bank. Okay. And this is work in progress. So you did one? Yeah. Well, I have, this, this is the stuff that I have been putting in lately. So I don't necessarily say that this is the bank that's set in stone, but this is the stuff that I've been wanting to work on for the last week or two since we've had that conversation. So I sort of have it in different sections. Like I had talked about last time, I see there being creative work, 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 planning and relaxing. And I want to make sure that I have a little of each of those every day. And then I have divided those into subsections. Under creative work, I have photography, writing, exploration, which we can talk about, and then collected goodness. So saying, okay, I want to take the stuff that I've read or looked at or watched and turn that into something, which is a good creative process that makes me feel happy when I do that. And then under work, work projects, editing audio and emails, the things that take up more than 10 minutes of my time. Planning, task list, and calendar, new possible projects, and old unfinished work. And then under relaxing, I just have read a book and what I decided to call go input hunting, which is better than browse the internet. Sounds kind of boring. (laughs) (laughs) So it's been cool because the way that I've kind of done that is I'll make sure that I space those out. So if I have work to do for a client, 
then I'll buffer that with creative work in front of that and relaxing stuff underneath that and then kind of go back and forth between them. And this has been really helpful because before it would be very easy for me to spend way too much time doing what I now would consider relaxing stuff or just creative stuff and way too little time doing actual work or vice versa, just spending hours and hours and hours on a work project and then feeling exhausted at the end of it. One of the things that I think is cool about that filling the bars thing is that I have basically given no time at all to a few of these things like photography. I haven't taken a photo in weeks just because I haven't really thought to do it and I've let other stuff get more priority, you know, more access to my schedule. But it'd be fun to say, yeah, I I mean, I want at least an hour or two hours of taking photos. It just is such a fulfilling thing for me that it'd be really nice to say, oh, yeah, I want to fill this bar. And at the end of the week, say, well, I have some time on Saturday. I could definitely go take some photos then. It's a cool way of thinking about it that I might try to incorporate into my own time blocking ritual. So when you're looking at this list, are you doing it like I am where you're you're looking at it that morning? Yeah. And then planning out your day around it? Yeah, morning and even sometimes at lunch. Sometimes I'll just plan out the beginning of the day, uh, especially when I know that I'll like be around people during this time and then not around people during this time. Or, oh, I know that I kind of have a wild card afternoon. So let me just plan out my morning and then we'll see what happens in the afternoon. And then I'll, I'll kind of look back at the list and plan it out from there. And then even sometimes in the evenings, there's been a few days lately where I've had a, a evening totally to myself. And so then I have done a few blocks in the in the evening as well. So it just depends. But yeah, usually it's the morning and then I kind of plan my day from there. I like this list. Yeah, the way that I've done it is I haven't necessarily given them a time. So it's not writing 9 to 9.30, collected goodness, 9.30 to 10. I just give them a list. Writing first, collected goodness second, a work project third, read a book fourth. And then I know that that's the order that I'm going to do stuff in. And if one of them takes me a little longer, that's no big deal. I still try to give them about an hour. But if I start something at 945 and not 930, it's no big deal. And if I end up going to do something between 930 and 1030, that's fine. I don't have to now change what was in block number two I don't have to push it an hour back. I just know that's the second thing I'm trying to get done. I think whenever I'm looking at my day ahead, I try to put the the most energy intense pieces first. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I won't do them (laughs) because I don't like email. So the you know those things I try to do early on. You know, people say don't check your email first thing in the morning. Uh, I don't check it right away, but I'll do it first thing whenever I come down to my office, just because. It's a pretty energy intense thing for me because I just don't enjoy it. And it's a thing that I have to get done. So I I know that I have to do that early on. Otherwise, I won't get to it. And then it's four days, five days, sometimes a week and a half before I get back to somebody. And that's not good. So I hear you on, you know, putting things in order. But I think if I did it that way, I would have to be very careful to put limits on certain things because I would have a tendency to say, well, I'm I'm on a groove with writing and I'm going to go with that until it it's done and oddly enough I'll somehow get the creative juice to do it for 5 hours because I know the email comes next and I don't want to do it. So like I I will do that <laughs> sort of thing. I'll play those games with myself. So I I have to put them in order of this one has to get done, but I don't want to do it so it needs to go first. Like the whole eat the frog thing. So I I have to be kind of careful with how I order things, but for me, honestly, I do have to put those time 
bumpers on it. It's like, okay, I'm going to do this until 9.30, and then I'm going to run with you know my client projects until 11. Like, I'll have to really nail it that, that detailed for the day. Otherwise, I'll play games with it <laughs> to, to encourage the things I do want to do and, and put off the ones I don't. So that's, that's what I end up having to do. That makes total sense. I've actually never really loved that advice of get the creative work done first. You'll never get to it if you don't do it. Because I think that some people, the complete opposite is true. And I think maybe you and I fall in that category where I'm happy to do the creative stuff first all day long. And then I'll just make sure that I keep doing it so much so that the boring stuff never happens. Right. And that's not necessarily great advice to give people that say, hey, you know, get that stuff done. Especially now that I have much more control of my own schedule, I have to do some of the stuff that I don't want to do first because I know it needs to get done. And even if it's not something that's necessarily super huge priority, I still want to do it first sometimes because... It's hard for me to know that there's stuff that needs to get done and I'm just not doing it. Like that's a weird way to structure your day, in my opinion. So very often I will do the boring stuff first just because I'm going to be thinking about it until it gets done. So you might as well do it. And that doesn't mean that I don't have time to do the stuff that's important or creative after. That's just, you just have to restructure your stuff around that. One of the things that's not on my list it is technically under writing is morning pages, which I'm still doing very faithfully and enjoying them a lot. And they're typically the first thing that I do. But there's been quite a few mornings where I've gone, pulled out my notebook, started to write them, and then just had that little thought in the back of my mind about this email needs to get sent out or this project needs to get worked on at least a little bit because that's something that needs to get done this morning. And I'll just stop writing my morning pages and get that done because I know that the quality of my creative work isn't going to be as good if I have that thought on the back of my mind. And maybe you could make a case for why I should really covet that time and make a space for morning pages no matter what. But that seems like you're turning a habit into a ritual in a bad way, to me at least. See, in that case, I think I would write it down on a note card. And then the times that I do morning pages, which have been few and far between lately due to flu, sick <laughs> mother and sick. Uh, yeah, we're not going to go into all that. But right, right. The, the times that I do it when I have to keep a note card or a piece of paper next to my notebook while I'm writing them so that I have a place to write down the tasks that come to mind. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'm like you. I I feel like I have to stop writing to go get it done or put off the writing to go, you know, get the email out whereas I'm better off just writing some quick notes on what I was thinking about the email so that I can get it out when I'm done. And it usually works out a lot better for me at least to do it that way. Well, I mean, I and I'm not saying that I do that every time where half a page in I abandon everything and go work on another project, but If I know, oh, I I was supposed to get to this thing yesterday evening and it just didn't happen and they're waiting on me in the morning, I just want to get that cleared away so that I don't have to worry about it. You know, if I know there's an email chain and they're asking for me, I might as well just reply to it because I'm going to be thinking about it the entire time. And that's not a daily thing or even a weekly thing, but I'm just saying if you're at the point where you say, no, you know, nothing can get in the way of my creative work. It comes first every day. That can be just as much as of a prison as checking your email, you know, making a habit out of checking your email first thing out of bed. I just feel like it's no better. It's good to have a flexible schedule. And when you truly lock yourself into a schedule, whether or not it's good for you or bad for you, I still feel like that's problematic. Yes. Ultimately, I think what we're getting at is that you have to know what limits 
you're going to put on yourself and be aware of when you're going to break a ritual, break a habit for the sake of mental freedom. <laughs> like, I know that there are some times that I will, I'll text my wife, you know, kind of lame since she's just upstairs and <laughs> I will text her and say, okay, I was getting ready to come upstairs. My head won't leave work alone. I'm just going to go write for 10 minutes and get all this stuff out of my head and all these ideas I'm having so that whenever I come upstairs, my head is clear. Right. And I'm not still focusing on work when we're trying to have a conversation about whether or not we're going to go on a date Friday night. Like that, that is just the better way for me is, you know, I got to get this down somewhere that I'll come back to. Otherwise, I just the whole ritual and the, the, the routine of coming up and seeing my girls like that. I don't want to taint with my work stuff. And I just know how to control some of it to a point. And I, I think those are the lines that you have to be aware of in order to do this sort of thing well. Yeah, that's well said. I think that as soon as you get yourself into a habit that you can't break, no matter if it's good or bad, that, that can end up doing some damage in your life. And there is obviously a difference between a very good habit, like I want to spend time with my daughters, and just a habit that's a habit for habit's sake, like I have to write as soon as I wake up, or I have to check Twitter as soon as I wake up, which... Speaking of getting some mental freedom back, boy, oh boy, I am <laughs> definitely in the process of spending less and less time on social networks over the last few weeks because I have been noting how clear and happy I feel depending on how much time I actually spend on those things. He was Isaac Smith, took a four-day hiatus from his phone. Right. And it's like, ooh, I I, I want this in an <laughs> article form. Like, I want to hear about this. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah I think that that's, a, that's not a unhealthy thing to do. There's a beautiful park right next to my house. I mean, or four or five-minute drive away from my home called Whiskey Town. And it's just this big reservoir that has tons of trails and a natural waterfalls and a little beach and all kinds of stuff. Just, I mean, five minutes away from my house, just California beauty. <laughs> and it has the, what at first I thought was the negative, And now I'm seeing as an extreme positive of having no cell phone service whatsoever. And at first I was annoyed that, you know, I couldn't uh, upload a picture to Instagram or something when I was there. Uh, and now I am overjoyed at the fact that I can't be contacted when I go to Whiskey Town, it's quite a nice thing. Last week, my wife and I made a trip out. We we took a couple of books and our dog and just went to Whiskey Town to read for an hour just because we knew that it'd be so nice to have that kind of radio silence while we did something very relaxing. And yeah, I'm I think I will be finding myself in places like Whiskey Town more and more and seeing the side effect of having no phone while I'm there as a major benefit. 